take a uh, detour for a week and look at uh, something from Mother's Day. And it's interesting as you think about mothers, uh, you look in the Old Testament and they, there's more specific details given about mothers in the Old Testament than you'll find in the New Testament. And it's an interesting thing. You ask yourself, why? Why is there more specific information? You see specific illustrations of what happens uh, in motherhood in the Old Testament. Uh, how, who can forget um, Rebecca and how she manipulated um, Isaac in order to get the birthright for uh, Jacob, right? And uh, some of the things that the mothers did in the Old Testament. And then you look at the Proverbs woman or the... And, uh, Proverbs 31, and a lot of people use that on Mother's Day. You, you notice I haven't used that because I think that the mothers today actually have the potential, um, as they're led by the Spirit, to go beyond that. I really believe that, that mothers today who are filled by the Spirit, and I think that that's why you don't have a lot of information that tells you do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But it, you can see in some instances in the New Testament that there is um, illustrations of what a good mother looks like, right? And so a lot of people today, and this is the thing that I'm seeing a, a lot, we have, if you go online, the world system has grown to such an extent that you have all of these people who are giving you information about every part of your life. How to raise children, how to sleep at night, um, how to walk, everything that you could possibly want to know, you can get online, right? So there's this, uh, they call it a content reader, that they, they amalgamate all of these different websites from different issues. So if you go on, for example, and you... Uh, got on this place called Feedspot, they will put out the 45 top magazines about how to raise kids. 45, top 45. They didn't include all of them, just the top 45. <laughs> so among the magazines they listed in their top 45 is Punk Moms magazines. Punk Moms magazines. Now, the magazine focuses on the topics of Tattoos, piercings, and attachment parenting. <coughs> attachment parenting, well, they say that if you want to be a good mother, that you've got to hold your kid a lot, I mean, and, you know, in certain situations to reaffirm them and such and all of this. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's preparing them for the tattoos and piercing. <laughs> and so notice, so... Uh, but one resource missing is this. You know, my parents, when my mother was raising us, and there were 16 kids, 14 boys and two girls. And what's interesting is that we don't have deviants in our family. We don't have people out robbing and maiming people. We don't have people doing things that are behind bars for murdering somebody. None of that has occurred. And, and you, when you look at it, a couple of things, you could say that society was different, and it was. But I, I, I want to advance to you that what also was different was their source of everything that they referred back to was this. It was this. 
I, it used to trouble me to no end that my parents would do this. That everything that they talked to us about went right back to scripture. And you, and you wanted them to give you something other than that. Can you give me some of your own personal advice? <laughs> yeah, but it's based upon this. And I just can't help but think that as we sit here today with a society that is fractured and completely out of control, with the family units falling apart by the day, if there's not a correlation between that, that where people are getting information are from people who don't really know what they're talking about. And they come across and they, they actually perpetuate who they are uh, based upon their status. But do they know what's true? Do they really know what's true? And so when you come to scripture, there's some things that you see about how life works. And you see it with regard to motherhood. And it's inescapable. It stood the test of time. It's the thing that people have been going by for years and years and years. And so you see that. And so we want to talk today about the elements of what you see in the New Testament about what makes a good mother. Now, I think at the beginning of this, I think this is all predicated on the fact that you have a woman who is filled by the Spirit. And a woman who is filled by the Spirit then has the wisdom to know how to parent. You're going to get into a lot of different circumstances and situations in this life that when you're going to have to make decisions right on the spot. What do I do? What, how do I respond in this situation? And only, only the Holy Spirit is going to be able to lead you in those situations, right? And, uh, and that makes a big difference. But we want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to look at this widow. And we're going to see that one of the characteristics in which the women were allowed to be put on the, the roles of the widow as widow in the um, New Testament was that they were characterized as ones who were uh, raised children or gave uh, or nurtured children or gave nourishment to children or bought up children is what we will see here. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful <laughs> and as believers that we have the opportunity to be able to do those things that are well-pleasing to you as we're um, filled by the Spirit. Thankful for motherhood today, that the mothers are a crucial part of any society, and we're thankful, Father, that you can use them as they're Spirit-filled to be able to have an influence on all of the children as they're born today. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so notice in 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> so in the early church, one of the things that they did is that they would, <clears throat> they had a widow's list. And they would put um, people, uh, most, it was, a, it was characteristic that men would die earlier than women. And it was often time that a woman would be left with no um, husband to care for them. And this is why he says what he says early on, excuse me, in this chapter, 
start uh, in verse 7 and then we'll read down of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those in his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so really the first responsibility during that time for uh, believers was for uh, families to take care of their own family members. That that was the responsibility. Uh, and, you know, if you had somebody who weren't providing for their own household, notice what he says, that they were worse than that word infidel is they're worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9. Let not a widow be taken in the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. And so they just give us these qualifications of who would be put on this list of widows. And then he gives some characteristics here in verse 10. And you have a series of first-class conditions. And so when I say first-class conditions, it's not if she did this. I would say that it's since she has done these things. Now notice in verse 10, well reported of for good works. It's interesting that he uses two different types of good works here. At the beginning, he says, kalos works. And notice at the end of this verse, he says, since she has followed after every good work. And then he uses a totally different word. He uses the word akatos. <clears throat> and I think, again, and so you could see in the things that this woman was doing, that they were good works that God had laid out for her to accomplish. And so a lot of people think that good works are something outside the church that I'm going to go lead some big revival, or I think they're everyday life things. And so the word kalos looks at the fact that when people see you doing this, that they see a beautiful behavior. Isn't it neat when you see people who are conducting their lives and it's just beautiful in the way that they conduct? They are, they are good. They're operating in a righteous manner. It's wonderful to see an activity. Now, the other word, agathos, at the end of that, is looking at the source of that work that you see on the outside. And I believe here that agathos is connected to the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, in me, I know in my flesh dwelleth no agathos thing. So I know that out of my sin nature, there's nothing that I can do that is inherently good. The Holy Spirit has to produce it. And so I believe that if you're going to, any woman uh, and the works that they're doing either in the home or outside the home, and a lot of this are works that God had for this woman to do inside the home. And where did they originate from? They didn't originate from her. She couldn't do them on her own strength. But that the Holy Spirit is the one that is driving this. And so here you see these works that this woman is able to do within the home. Since she has bought up children, and we'll look at this as word for bought up children is the first thing right off the, the, uh, the bat here. And notice, we'll look at some of the rest of them and then we'll come back. Since she has lodged strangers. Now the word for strangers is, um, is the same word you look over in Hebrews. It says be uh, careful to entertain strangers. Now, it's not just talking about just letting anybody into your house. Somebody knock on the door. You don't have a place? Come on in. <laughs> you may not want to do that. I think he's talking about uh, believers that you didn't know. 
right, in that circumstance. Um, since she had lodged strangers, since she has washed the saints' feet. Now, you don't have to do this today. When I come over to your house, you invite me over. Troy, when we come over, <laughs> uh, I'm not expecting you to get out the pot and wash my feet. <laughs> and you might not want to do that. <laughs> the truth be told about it. But back in that time, they would, when they were walking around in sandals, they would go through hot sand. And they, this was a customary thing you did. And so this was a good work that this woman was engaged in doing since she has relieved the afflicted. Now, this is an interesting thing is um, is that she has refreshed uh, or brought relief to or, or kept the afflicted. And really those who are uh, under pressure, ones who have, have been under pressure. Uh, and since she has diligently followed after every good work, the word good work, there's the word agathos work. But going back to this ideal um, of um, she has bought up children. And so this word for bought up children is the um, it's a um, compound form of several words. And so the ideal of uh, technon, um, which is the word for uh, ch- a child. And then you have the word for uh, trofeo, which is to feed or to feed children. I think there's more involved in than just. Um, nourishing or feeding a kid physically, uh, but there's a little bit more involved here. So the word for trefo, uh, to feed, it's used to denote feeding of animals, um, also uh, used to denote the feeding of uh, humans. And here I want to look at it in Ephesians chapter 6, 4. I think here it's used in a spiritual context. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 <coughs> And it's used of the fathers um, uh, uh, feeding their children um, in, the, in the things of the Lord. Um, and so it's actually translated, bring them up in the, uh, the nurture and the admonition. Uh, and so that word for nurture is actually to, uh, to feed or the outfeeding. And so notice in verse 1, children, obey yourself, your uh, Parents in the Lord, and I think this is. If you look at this verse six, it's in the same context as chapter five. And why is that important? Because he's just going right down through chapter six, and he's still talking about how people look when they are filled by the Spirit. And so, children who are filled by the Spirit will obey their parents in the Lord, um, and so they would they will uh, um, give honor to them. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou may live as long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That word provoke is actually to, um, to irritate, to cause irritation, uh, or to incite. You could do that to your kids uh, sometimes, I, you know, I know I did it when the boys were growing up on a couple of occasions. You know, you're sitting there in the front room and you say, I don't feel like getting up. Hey, call them from out of the back room. Can you come get me some of this water in here in the refrigerator? Well, there's nothing like inciting your kids <laughs> than doing something like that. But there's, there's even worse things you could do. Provoke not your, kid, your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, that word nurture is the feeding and the admonition um, or concerning the Lord. 
uh, one who is a master and this idea of to this nurture here the idea to feed uh, and then to admonish and admonishes that you place something before someone hey this is the way things ought to be done and so you see this word uh, trefao uh, is commonly used in scripture for bringing up children providing uh, spiritual and psychological nourishment to children that allows for their growth Spiritual and psychological nourishment that allows for their growth. Now, um, notice this um, um, brought up. Again, you have those two words. And notice at the bottom, brought up includes more than just physical feeding. Uh, It also is instruction and provisions of the things that are necessary to life. Uh, You can see it used this way. It's used to denote those who have experienced the same provisions together in the same household in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now notice in Acts uh, chapter 13, uh, we um, are looking at the church uh, in Antioch. uh, And in uh, verse 1, now verse 1, there were in the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon, and uh, which was called Niger and Lucius, and Serene and Manon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And so this ideal, notice of uh, brought up, uh, has the ideal that they had been reared or they had been raised. And it's not just looking at physical feeding, it's looking at also that they were uh, all the things that go into providing for the raising of a kid. And so you have all of the phys- physical feeding, you have the spiritual feeding, you have the instruction that is given uh, to the kid. And so notice you see it again used uh, in Luke 4, 16 <clears throat> to, note, to note the sum total of the Lord's childhood in Luke 4, 16. <clears throat> in verse 14, <clears throat> and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And so you see this idea, there's, it's inclusive. So you say he was brought up. Well, if you just said that it was just about feeding or just about giving him food, where he just, where he ate food, that doesn't make sense. See, so it's more inclusive of not just feeding, but there's all the things that are given to a kid. There is nurturing there is uh, admonition, all of these things that go into uh, this feeding. And so notice he says that he, he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, he stood there for them to read. And so this uh, nurturing or bringing up of children is inclusive of providing physical, spiritual, psychological nourishment to children that allows for their growth. Now, my parents... Um, I know today you have um, a lot of people who are adamant, and I think a lot of people in our generation have said, I will not force my kids to go to church. I want them to have a choice. But what strikes you in this statement that they make is that in reality, your kid will not have a choice. They won't have a choice because the only choice you're giving them is secularism. That's the only thing that they will know. 
And so you have a lot of people who say that. And so in our, in our house, which is what was interesting is my father used a lot of first-class conditions. <laughs> and it was, since you are going to church, <laughs> it's, it's a fact, you are going to church, then you, not, you, you better get ready to go. And so, I mean, but a lot of that was part of it. Providing for the spiritual nourishment of children. You have a window of opportunity when your kids are small that I think when you miss it, you've missed a lot. The opportunity for your kid to learn spiritual things while they actually want to. The moment that window is closed, you will have missed a lot. And I think what ends up happening is the kid has to learn on the tough side of it. They have to go up on the, the hard side of it. And it's a tragedy when you see it. <clears throat> and so notice, so children, uh, child rearing of Moses exemplifies the essence of motherhood. Notice in Acts chapter 7 and verse 21. Acts ch- chapter 7 and verse 21. <clears throat> Now, this is a good, um, uh, Acts 7 gives you a good historical narrative of the nation of Israel. And so um, we have Stephen who is talking to the Jews and he's going down and he's giving them a historical narrative of what happened with Israel. Uh, And notice in verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they may not live. And in which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and he was nourished up in his father's household uh, three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And so, again, you have this ideal um, for nourish uh, is a form of the word for uh, trefo. And some uh, and you can see in your interlinear in a couple of places it's uh, translated to to rear. And we, we've seen that in our uh, English vernacular. Right. In verse 20 in your interlinear is translated that way. Um, and so the idea of to bring up and there's inclusive of this bringing up is all the things that you're giving that kid, giving them physical food is just one part of it. Do I could say there was a many days that we, we, like I said, we opened up the refrigerator on many days and all we saw was the light bulb. <laughs> I mean, God provided for sure. But uh, our kids had it a whole lot better than we had it. So you have the physical food, but there's more that goes into bringing up a kid. And what you find is that the world is going to tell you all kinds of things that your kid should have. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. Because, um, and, and consider the source. Now notice this word as it's used in verse 21. The word nourished there has the idea of mental and spiritual nurturing to rear or to educate. And so what was he reared or he was educated in, uh, in verse 21, in all of the things of the Egyptians. Now, you see, earlier, 
that he was reared as a Hebrew child in verse 20 and 21. They took him and they educated him in the uh, all of the things that were Egypt. Moses was highly educated. He was highly skilled, which made it laughable that when he told the Lord that he couldn't speak, (laughs) that I mean, that wasn't true. He was a very eloquent man. And so uh, this is used, for example, in Acts 22, 3 of Paul as he uh, it talks about his upbringing in Tarsus. In Acts 22 and verse 3. And Paul, as he is arrested, he goes to Jerusalem in Acts 21. And uh, as he's there, he's arrested. Uh, and remember, we've all know the story that he was warned earlier in Acts 21 not to go to Jerusalem. So he goes and he's arrested and he's trying to explain to the Jews uh, about who he is. And he thought that by explaining to him that he was one of them, that they would relent. And stop persecuting him. But that didn't happen. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 22, we'll pick it up. He's arrested and they allow him to speak. And he gets up and he says, men and brethren and fathers, hear ye me my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they spake, they kept a more silence. And he said, I am verily a man, which am a Jew. Born in Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And so if you go back and you understand Tarsus, Tarsus was a very um, educated area. Uh, it was a well-to-do area. And I believe that when Paul uh, um, was raised there, he was raised in the things of Judaism. If you go back to the 11th chapter of uh, Acts, when Barnabas goes to find uh, Saul after he leaves the Damascus in um, uh, the ninth chapter, what does he find him? He's in Tarsus. And so he says that I was brought up here uh, at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel, if you go back to Acts 5, was one of the, the top dogs in Judaism. And Paul says, I learned at the feet of this guy. And so he was taught all the manner and the mannerisms of, of Judaism. And he was so well trained in it. He tells you over in Galatians 2 that I went far beyond any of my superiors, my contemporaries. There was no one that excelled in Judaism like I did. And so he was taught all of the protocol. A lot went into what he learned there. And so when you look at this ideal of child rearing, it's teaching a kid. You're teaching your kid a lot. You may not know it, but you are. You're teaching them by what you say. I was in the car with Cohen the other day. And I guess I said something that he never forgot. I told him I was going to take him to the park. And then this day we had to do something else. And he says, you broke a promise. (laughs) That's what he told me. He says, you broke a promise. You said we were supposed to go to the park. Oops. (laughs) I missed that one. But, you know, we're the grandparents. So the kids, though, are watching your parents. And and so they they are learning a lot. I mean, so it's more than just what I say. 
I can talk about the things of the Lord, but they're also learning in all of the extra things that go along with it. I, I could tell you, and, and I don't want to you know, make this anecdotal, but I will say this. I can remember growing up, in the, we grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, 18,000 people. My father pastored this church for 43 years. And the things that we observed were things that we watched as kids. We watched what people said. We watched what they did. And the thing that we would talk about many times as we got to ourselves, what a bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) You could actually see what people were doing versus what they said they were. And there were many days that uh, we said this, and I won't tell you for the reasons why. But there's a lot that goes into it. You're training the kid as you're teaching them. You're teaching them how to do a various amounts of things in order to understand how this life works. You're teaching them the word of God, not just verbally, but you're admonishing them from this. Hey, don't do this. Do that. All of these things are very, very important. Mothers, for many, many years, been at the forefront of this, of the training of children. They used to spend more time with them, but because of the society that we're in, um, it's become a little bit more balanced, which is okay as you're led to do that. But the, the issue is the same. All of this information you're giving to these kids, you're teaching them this is how you ought to live. From what you're teaching them from scripture, from what you're teaching them from how I live, from what they see with the people that are around me, all of those things are hugely important. And so this idea of bringing up, and so as Paul was brought up there in um, Tarsus, He learned every aspect of what it meant to be a Jew. And there was none better to teach him than Gamaliel. And so you see that ideal of this nourishing. And so the nourishment uh, Moses received from Pharaoh's daughter was designed to guide him for her own son rather than into sonship. And so uh, he got that as a Hebrew for a little bit before he was given, he was put up, and you know the story about how they um, sent him away so that he wouldn't be killed. Child training is a significant part of bringing up children. So now I wanted to zero in on this one word here, uh, Pharaoh's daughter trained Moses to be a son. Now notice the word for in verse 22 of Acts chapter 7. We see the introduction of this word paduo. And Courtney did an excellent uh, message on this. Uh, it's been about two or three years ago in the, uh, or was it two years ago, on child training um, in the, at the conference. So if you go back, you should be able to get it. And so in Acts chapter 7, and notice verse 22, uh, it's actually translated here. Um, he was learned, or actually it's the word for trained uh, in verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deed. And so this word for uh, learned is actually the word for padio. 
Um, and so paiduo is to, um, to chasten or to castigate with words, to correct of those who are molding the character of others by, rep- by reproof or by admonishment. By admonishment. Um, the one thing that, and we'll, we'll look at the scripture, but one of the things that strikes me today is that the society has trained parents to be too scared to, to deal truthfully with their kids. And I guess, you know, the society back then, my parents probably would be under the jail because they, would, <laughs> they said things to us that probably parents would not say to their kids today. But a lot of it was just the truth. And one of the things that I really appreciate about them that I've learned from that, it's not what, it's not who's right, it's what's right. It's what's true. They were only concerned about what's true. And honestly, they were less concerned about your feelings. It was about what was true. And they just kept hammering that. And what they said to us, and what they did themselves. And, and I would say this for my father. This is not Father's Day. But if you go back and you look at our parents. One of the things that they did. And this is, I'm not making them to be perfect. Because they were imperfect people. But one thing in this re- issue of truth and teaching. They consistently were focused on what was true. Even if it meant their kid was wrong. Now, sometimes I think they went overboard with that because being the, the, the preacher's kids, people would accuse us of things that weren't true. But it happens. But they were more focused on what's true. What's the truth? And so notice here in 2 Timothy 2.25, you see this word for padia. It's used here, it's interesting, because um, this idea of instructing someone who's in a bad situation. And you can instruct someone in a bad situation, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get results. (laughs) Sometimes you might, sometimes you may not. Notice in verse 22, and we'll read down. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, Charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. Now, this is an important thing to understand. And this is why I stopped fighting and arguing with people was when I read this verse. And you can really get an understanding. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. Uh, really, it's really emphatic when you read it in the original. It is necessary It is not necessary that the servant of the Lord fight. He doesn't really need me to fight for him. The word can fight for itself. All I need to do is to, to teach it. But must be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient. Now notice what he tells you what to do with someone who is out of line. In meekness... Instructing those that oppose themselves. And so here you have a person who is, is, is ensnared. 
and I really believed here, is uh, he's ensnared by Satan. And so this word in, and I would say, by means of meekness. And what is meekness? Well, and you can see this as mothers are dealing with their children. Sometimes you're placing things before your children. And this idea of meekness is that you're keeping focus. And you're not letting the behavior of the kid drive you off. And you're able to keep focus on what needs to happen. We were in Sam's yesterday and we saw this mother, or really, as they say, a child raising a parent. And, uh, and the mother, as the kids were doing what they were doing, she, she just had no control. You could just see she, it was, she lost control. Kids weren't paying any attention to her whatsoever. And they were just hollering to the top of their lungs. And I mean, these are big kids. And there has to be some meekness in which you understand what needs to happen in order for you to give instruction. And that no matter what's going on, I'm not going to be deterred from what's happening. It's going to keep my focus on what needs to happen here. And what happens? We would... When my parents would get ready to whip us, my mother would say, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets here. Oh, no, don't do that. But you know what happened when they were getting ready to spank you? And you say, I'm not going to do it no more. And I've heard this classic line many times. I know you're not. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make sure. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that you don't do it again. <laughs> so there was a meekness. There was a meekness that was meted out. And so they didn't lose track. Of what needed to happen here. If it, the fact that this kid is going past the line. He needs spanking. They didn't lose track of that. You could fall down and you could cry and do all that. You st- get up. <laughs> get up. You're still going to get it. <laughs> they never let all of that deter them. For what needed to happen. Not one bit did they let that deter them. From what needed to happen. And I would often think. When my father as he was preaching. And we were acting up in church. And he said stop it. And he says, he gave you the look. <laughs> you knew what was happening when he got home. And he never, he never forgot. <laughs> you think, oh, he's going to start doing something else, watching TV, and you're sitting there on pins and needles. He had that meekness. <laughs> he didn't forget. He didn't forget. Kevin, oh, no. <laughs> And so there is a meekness that is necessary. So this ideal, when you're dealing with someone, and this is what's used over here with this ideal of instruction. In meekness, instructing them that oppose themselves. If peradventure, if God peradventure will give them repentance into a full experiential acknowledging of the truth. And so here you have people who were in um, this situation in Ephesus and they uh, were out of line. And so Paul says there's a possibility. It wasn't a sure thing that you might instruct them and they would recover themselves. It wasn't a sure thing that this was going to happen in this situation. But the meekness that Paul tells Timothy to have in instructing, and there's our word for paideia there, to to, uh, correct and what is the purpose of correcting? To mold people to the direction of what's true. Look, the truth is important today. And I think that what is happening in our churches and what's happening in our society is people are not really concerned about truth. They're not. 
they're more concerned about what's expedient than what's true. And as you have a mother who's raising a child, what's true is more important than the response the the kid is giving. And we, we see this a lot in our society. Most of your parents today, all they want, they don't want to offend their kids. Let's not offend little Johnny. Why? I don't want Johnny to be unhappy with me. Let's not offend him. And there takes a certain amount of, 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 of resolve that you're going to instruct this person and give them what they need. You have to give them what they need. And you have mothers that, that uh, as a mother does that, the benefit's going to be to the kid. The kid's going to gain from that. And so notice, Moses was trained in this way. And so as you look at this word for padia, there's a little, um, and Courtney did an excellent job of talking about, so there's um, instruction verbally in padia, and there's also instruction, sometimes it comes to a little reminder. Um, you know, spankings. Um, Oh, as they used to say it. I mean, we 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 not had this. We, this was reinforced as we were growing up, not only in the home but outside the home. I can hear the sound of the paddle ringing through the halls of our wonderful elementary schools, as we heard people taken outside to get a little idea, <laughs> and they were instructed of how to behave. And that doesn't always happen today. Notice Paul was born in, in the city of Tarsus, which shows you that, and so he was child trained. And just a little insight on Gamaliel, he was brought up with him. And so I give you a definition from Joseph Thayer, and we saw that word. He nourished him to promote growth with the predominant ideal of forming the mind. And so as a mother is nourishing her children, there is more than just feeding physically. You're training a kid. You're training their mind about what's true. How does life work? Many parents in the unsaved world have just abandoned this. They're not even trying to train their kids. How do we know this? My wife was a teacher. Andrea's a teacher. She sees this, right? Mothers, when they are feeding and bringing up children, there's a lot that is involved with it. And a lot of it, I think today, why is there not a lot of specific instruction given in the New Testament? Because I think it's predicated on the mother being filled by the Spirit. Why do you see that? Agathos works. She was full of this woman in, in 1 Timothy 5, full of Agathos works. You don't get that from just human behavior. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, I know that there is in me dwelleth no Agathos thing that is in my flesh. The Holy Spirit provides for that kind of good and someone who was involved in that and the raising of children. And so I, I do believe that as you look at the, the Spirit's filling, 
That's something that the Old Testament saints didn't have. You as a mother have the ability today to have wisdom that they did not have. I know that people go back and they look at that woman in the Old Testament in, in Proverbs 31. I think that the believing mother today has the ability to go way past that. Not only from a doctrinal standpoint, but also a, a wisdom standpoint, because we're, we've got something a little bit different than they had in the Old Testament. And so as we celebrate mothers today, I would exhort mothers today, don't be fearful. We're living in a society that is trying to tell you not to do what many mothers have successfully did over the course of many years. Why? Because it works. And we can see with our very eyes that the society out here, they're not concerned about raising good children. They've got something completely different in mind. You have something much better. You have the ability to raise children that are going to affect and be a part of God's will for years to come. If the rapture doesn't occur, hopefully it does. And I would just exhort you as a mother today that you will grow spiritually. You, in doing so, will have a more of an effect on your, ch- your kid than anyone else. And I trust that God will use you in that way. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to celebrate Mother's Day today. And just thankful that as um, mothers are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they have the ability to be led by the Spirit to do your will in the raising of their children. We're thankful for the example that they can be not only to those who see the good works that they manifest as they are um, rearing their children, but also the, um, the good works that are seen by spirit beings and um, the faith that they direct in doing so um, that you see. We're so thankful for many of the ways uh, and many of the things that come as a result of that. And so we're thankful for this day and being able to celebrate the mothers uh, all around this world, that particularly those who belong to you, and are being led by the Spirit, and how you're using them to actually impart life to their children. And we're thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.